What is up, everybody? Welcome back to Grizzly Bear Blues Live. I'm your host, Parker Fleming, coming at you live on Tuesday, June the 7th. We're almost two weeks away from the NBA draft, and we should definitely be seeing a lot of uh, rumors and such flying around. So make sure you're sticking with uh, Grizzly Bear Blues for that. Before I introduce the first guest of this episode, let me tell you how you can keep in touch with the podcast and the blog. So the Grizzly Bear Blues Live is a the flagship podcast for SB Nation's Grizzly Bear Blues Podcast Network alongside the 3D Podcast and the Starting 5 Podcast. So wherever you get your podcast, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Megaphone, iHeartRadio, or wherever you get your podcast, Grizzly Bear Blues is on there. And Grizzly Bear Blues is a blog under SB Nation's network. You can find it on the web at grizzlybearblues.com or on Twitter at SBN Grizzlies. Once again, I'm your host, Parker Fleming. And with me for the first segment is the Memphis Tigers basketball beat writer for the Daily Memphian. It's uh, Steven Johnson. Steven, how are you doing this afternoon, sir? Hey, Parker, I'm doing all right, man. I appreciate you inviting me onto the show. Yeah, no problem. And, you know, with, with this show, I know a big name that really captivates a lot of people um, in Grizzlies Twitter sphere is uh, Josh Minot. Uh, obviously, one and done, Memphis Tiger. Um, and before I get into Josh Minot, one thing that kind of ended up catching everyone off guard was uh, Lester Quinones uh, declaring for the draft. Uh, sounds like he's getting some good workouts. Uh, Steven, what are your thoughts on on that? Lester's outlook? I, I know I told you Josh Minot, but Lester's always been someone I was a big fan of, big fan of how he played, how he shot, and he's surprising everybody with this. So what, what are your quick thoughts on Lester Quinones uh, entering the draft? Well, I think Lester's there was starting to be come some smoke that he was going to stay in maybe over the last week or so before the deadline. So him staying in wasn't that big of a surprise, but I guess the decision to remain in school, I mean, remain in the draft when he could have came back to school was a bit surprised. From what I, what I heard, I think he had enough good workouts. He had a great pro day where he knocked down uh, reportedly maybe 33s in a row. He's worked out for, I think he's approaching maybe 10 NBA teams now. He has a workout with Orlando and I think one more with another team this week. So I think whatever he's been able to do um, is kind of this offseason during his workout process, I think he kind of played his way onto the radar of some teams. I'm still not sure he'll get drafted, but I do think he's going to be a guy that might hit the G League or the Summer League or get one of those type deals and have a chance to prove himself in those settings as well, too. Absolutely. And as we've seen, especially since the NBA had started these, two, uh, these two-way contracts, it's, it's a very good partnership. Um, between the NBA and the G League and a very good developmental tool. Adds two more roster spots for uh, young players to be evaluated. You know, whenever there are those opportunities to play on the main roster, they're getting those uh, they're, they're getting those reps to really kind of fill in a role, something that they didn't really get to do in college, mm-hmm. but also getting to kind of be a leader for the G League. And I, I think Lester's definitely a guy that kind of fits that. I, I do think with the way the Tigers have been kind of structured over the past uh, three seasons with him there, he's been a very good plug-and-play guy. He's kind of been a little bit of a spirit leader for them. So I, I think that's a role that's going to suit him quite well. And obviously, it's wishing all the best for him. Yeah, absolutely. For sure. And so with Josh Minot, his is definitely – 
Um, his name is one that's a lot more intriguing because at this point he's on every draft board. He's in the top 60 on most big boards. He is frequently in the mock draft, ranging anywhere from like, I want to say the highest I've seen him right now is 27th. Lowest I've seen him is like late 40s. So, I mean, he's got draft stock. Obviously, you know, you always kind of wonder, okay, why is this guy who's only a freshman or who was only a freshman staying in the draft when his stock isn't, you know, guaranteed first round? I mean, Steven, is the, are the mocks really accurately uh, showing his range and his potential outlook into maybe why he stayed? Or mm-hmm. it, like, what, what do you think on the Josh Minot decision, especially with remaining college eligibility? He did put his name in the portal. Um, where, where are you on Josh Minot's stock right now? Um, no, I, I've been a big Josh guy even during the season. I think his role, like he shows so many, many flashes of why he could potentially be a lottery type of guy, but obviously he needs a lot more polish, I think, in terms of just being a shooter and things of that nature. But I do, I think the mocks actually paint a good picture of just maybe not the wide range of opinions on Josh. You know, I think uh, there was a writer from the athletic. They had him as the number 10 prospect. I don't think it was a mock draft, but just his top 10 players, Josh was number 10. And obviously there are some mocks that have him all the way in the second round. So I think if you want to take something from these mocks, it's this guy's an NBA talent. He's going to be, he's going to come in raw. He's working on a new shooting form. But I think the fact that he's in these late rounds bodes well for him because in theory, he potentially could end up with say a team like the Grizzlies or um, I saw one mock that had him go to the Spurs. Go to a franchise where you have time to develop. You're not having to thrust into having to play immediately. And I think overwhelmingly, yeah, the, the superstars, Katie, LeBron, it didn't matter where they were going to get drafted. They were going to succeed. But for a lot of guys, your situation is going to dictate uh, your success in the NBA. So I think for Josh, yeah, he could have came back to school and maybe been a little bit higher pick and play for a worse team. But I think the fact that he's kind of maybe that late first, early second, there's a potential for him to kind of land with a good franchise that'll kind of help him develop and be a guy that maybe down the road that we start seeing him realize his potential. Absolutely. And I know the highest that I've seen him in mocks is I want to say the boxing one from uh, the breakdowns of coach Adam Spinella on YouTube had him at 27 to the Miami heat, which I think aside from the Memphis Grizzlies, that would be the absolute best fit for Minot obviously getting to be around just a world-class system, got great pros in there like Jimmy Butler, uh, Bam Adebayo, Kyle Lowry, P.J. Tucker. Um, You don't want to hassle if he takes another roster spot again. (laughs) You just have a bunch of world-class pros and also, too, on their staff. I mean, they have several former NBA players. Uh, Chris Quinn is an assistant coach, Karan Butler, Malik Allen, obviously Eric Spolster's have have has built one awesome player development program in Miami and playing for them would be great. But yeah, I think it's showing his range. It could be a blessing in disguise for him because, you know, if he is, if he does sneak into the first round, because I remember when he declared, he's like, I want to be like Josh Primo. I want to climb up the boards, become a lottery pick. Then he can find himself in a very good situation where he's playing for a playoff team, playing in a system that's just, more structured and that that system may, may very well be the Memphis Grizzlies. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Before I, and I think for Josh and his camp, they probably consider like 
if my dream, if my goal is to get to the NBA, and it's clear he's going to be drafted, whether it's first or second round, I think they came out of those workouts with a pretty the clear idea that somebody's going to take him in the draft. So I think for him in this camp, it's like, yeah, do I want to go to college and deal with all this other stuff? Or is the NBA slash G League, is that going to be the best place for me to develop my skills? And so I can't, and also there's an aspect of, yeah, there's NIL, but you'll probably make a little bit more money even in the G League or whatever the case may be. So I think all those factors weigh into it. Along with the Grizzlies, I heard the Raptors might be a team that have real interest in it. We know they have a, a great player development as well, too. So whether it be the Grizzlies, Heat, Raptors, any one of those teams that's vying for playoff that have, have these track records of developing players, I think that's the exact spot he needs to go to. If he did end up with the Grizzlies, we know whether Dylan Brooks goes via trade or maybe something happens in a free agency down the line, it seems like they're trying to kind of groom a replacement for him Zaire is there as well, too. So we know they're they're looking for those type of wings. And Josh kind of fits that mold as a guy that can grow his athleticism. Um, I think defensively, people could he got a bad knock defensively, but that was wasn't because of his ability as a defender. I think learning the scheme, the intricacies of the trapping of Memphis kind of limited what he could show, but just what he brings to the table, I just think his upside is off the charts. And I think a, a franchise like the Grizzlies in particular can really give him the time and the patience to really help bring that out of him. For sure. Absolutely. You know, the Raptors one really kind of catches my eye too because the Raptors, they don't really care much about positions. They just have a Mm -hmm. bunch of playmakers with size. I mean, obviously, Precious Achua, another Tiger, has really thrived in that environment. Um, I I did see the Denver Nuggets said that uh, Josh Minot was one of the players in the workout today. They have the 21st pick. I don't know if there's going to be like a buy into the second round, but that's another interesting spot where he gets a playoff of Nikola Jokic, who's just this unbelievable passer. And that kind of fits my out's game as a cutter. And, you know, back, back with the Grizzlies, you did bring up a good point too with, you know, they're grooming guys to potentially step in and fill that spot as, you know, a defensive stopper three and D forward, you know, with Dylan Brooks in his situation. I mean, he's entering a contract year uh, coming up. Obviously, there's people are going to be like, oh, they're going to trade Dylan Brooks because we're fresh out the Jonas Valanciunas thing where they traded a high usage starter, free up time for other people, and they flourish. So it's like, oh, let's do that again for Dylan Brooks. But you got to have players ready to do do so and fill in. Minot could be one of those guys. But I think also another underrated thing, and you like when you were mentioning, is they're also trying to potentially get a replacement for Kyle Anderson. I mean, Kyle Anderson's done a lot of stuff for them as a forward off the bench. You know, I think Minot can add some similar stuff, a little bit more pop. Um, but, I mean, and but they also have a lot of prospects in that kind of caliber, too. You have these these tweeners of, like, Santi Aldama, Killian Tilly, Xavier Tillman. I mean, I, I don't really put Brandon Clark in there because he's almost 26, and also I think he's kind of emerged past, like, prospect status, but I think the thing that Minot can separate himself in is if he gets that three ball down, he can play positions three and four, but the little sprinkle of the five. And I think that versatility is really going to help him out at the next level. Yeah, absolutely. And he showcased that a little bit at Memphis. I think the outside shot is really just because he's one of those guys. I don't know if he does anything great yet outside of his athleticism, uh, but I think he does a lot of things really well. There were times he led the Tigers and rebounded. Uh, obviously, with his with his balance, he was a little bit of a rim protector. His passing ability and playmaking ability is is a bit underrated. 
I think I know when he was playing in high school and things like that, he was playing point guard and things. I don't think he'll transition to that in the NBA, but could he be a guy that could be a bit of a playmaker in transition or out the post? I think he can be. I just think he just needs time to put the entire package together. And I think absolutely, you add that outside shot with that bounce, with that. I think he has a really, I enjoy his, his mental perspective on things. And that's another reason why I think he's for sure getting drafted. But I think he's a guy that, you know, when they do these interviews and they're talking to you in private, I think he's going to blow some teams away with just his, just his intelligence and just how he, he views things. You know, I think he's a really, uh, he's a really smart kid. I'll put it like that. So I definitely think he has a place in the NBA and hopefully, you know, if he stays close to the Grizzlies, I think that would be great for the city. I know a lot of Tigers fans would be happy. I think he and his camp would be happy with that as well, too. But uh, so my dad is a guy I'm all in on. I think he, he has a very bright future. It's just a matter of can he land in the right situation with the right staff that can really help him put all these uh, tantalizing tools together and make him well. I think he's going to be a good pro, but I think his situation is going to dictate most of his success. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I think one area that you mentioned that I think gets really um, kind, kind of goes under the radar in this process is the mental aspect of things. You know, when you're bringing in a guy with – Minot's physical tools, you know, he's 6'8", long wingspan, super athletic, and his numbers aren't there, but you can see the efficiency stand out a little bit. You factor in his age, and when you, you know, get him into the room, you're meeting him, and you're like, oh, this is a high-character player, high-character kid who has all these tools, he wants to work, let's buy into this guy into our system. And that might help Josh Minot get that more of that guaranteed money in the first round. Whether that's, you know, some of these places we mentioned, you know, Memphis, Miami, Denver, Milwaukee, some of those teams, then that might bode well for him also. But, um, you know, you mentioned like with his G League fit, you know, there's a lot of teams in that second round where they use the second round as a two way tool, you know, that they're, it's just kind of easier for them to do so. Do you see a two way contract? Uh, benefiting Josh Minot where he can kind of get more of those reps in the G League or do you do you think he'll, he's more of like that 15 guy main roster player I think it depends on the roster but I do think the I think the two would really benefit Josh just to have that ability to even if the if the team doesn't need him on the main roster he's still playing in the G League he's still he's still developing now look on a separate a little bit of a separate note I, I kind of love how the NBA kind of rebranded that um, what was the D-League at first? I, I feel like there's a more positive positive thinking when it comes to that. And we're seeing a lot of guys spend a lot of time there. The Warriors, for example, have a bunch of guys that spent time or a year or two in the G-League. And now look at some of those young guys, they're starting to pop. So I think the two-way contract will benefit him the most because I think he needs reps. I think he needs the ball in his hands. I think he needs to be in game-like situations. So give him the opportunity to do what he needs to do in the G-League. And, you know, if a guy gets hurt or we just want to see what Josh can do, we can bring him up for a stretch of games. So I think he will really benefit from a, from a two-way contract for sure. Absolutely. And then before we get to the question, Dad, I do want to ask you uh, another question. And, you know, I think one thing that gets uh, talked about a lot in this process is a guy's upside and, you know, what yeah. kind of player he can become and such. I mean, you don't have to use like a player comparison if you want. You, you can if you want. But what do you see – uh, Josh's upside being, especially with a player that has some of these uh, unique tools to his game where 
he's pretty positionless and he has that scalability to kind of fit into any sort of role. Well, look, his teammates call him baby Giannis. And I'm not saying that's what his player comp is. You know, Giannis could be one of the greatest players to ever play the game by the time it's all said and done. But I will say, I think he has, I think his talent is outstanding. I think he could be just in terms of when I just see the tools, I, I think, I think he's up there with the best in this class, honestly. You know, obviously they have the guys at the very top there are more polished or Jay Nivey and things like that. But I'm just talking about pure potential. You know, I, I think it's one of the top kind of in the class, just with his athleticism, with his IQ, mental makeup, and the fact that like, he's an unselfish guy. He can finish at the rim. He brings defensive versatility. Like I said, I, I feel like he can do just about everything pretty good or pretty well, except shoot. So in my mind, I think he's one of the more talented prospects in this class. And I do think if he lands in the right situation, he could be a guy that maybe two years into his career, he factors into a rotation for like a playoff team and then eventually becomes a starter. Um, I don't know if he'll ever get to all-star level, but he's a guy that I think will be playing a very long time. I do think he has starter potential in the NBA. And I think starter for a high-level team, you know, a team that's that's in playoff contention, that's competing for titles. So I think he has that amount of talent and that amount of potential for sure. Absolutely. Definitely one of the most interesting prospects of the draft. I mean, there's a reason why former Grizzlies exec and senior staff writer at the athletic John Hollinger has him as a top 10 grade on his board. Um, he, he, he just has all these tan- tantalizing skills. I mean, I wish I would have gotten to watch more tiger basketball to kind of see that potential a little bit more, but I mean, his age his his tools, his defense, and his efficiency, and his work ethic, he, he can end up being one of the biggest steals of the draft in this draft. But to get Steven out on this before we introduce our next guest, let's ask the question of the day. Where are, And this also, thank you to the 79 voters um, who voted on this poll. Uh, where are you most comfortable taking the Memphis Tiger, Josh Minot? 8.9% of the voters said 22, 16.5% said 29, and then 74.7% said 47. So, Stephen, where do, where do you lie on this? Where are you the most comfortable taking Josh Minot? I would say 29, honestly. Um, just some of the guys that will be, be there, I don't think this class is extremely deep. So I think, you know, if you can get them in 47, that, that'd be great, but we're talking about what almost more than a dozen spots behind, and I feel like I don't know if he'll be there at 47. So if he's a guy they value, if he's a guy they think they can help, you know, I would be comfortable taking him at 29. And I think there'll still be um, some solid players at 47 that they can kind of, you know, take another leap on. So I would say 29 for me. Yeah, I said 29. I mean, there's not a whole lot of variability between like 25 and 50. So, mm-hmm. you know, if they just said, hey, Josh is our guy. We don't want to risk him going but in a range that we couldn't trade up from in that second round, we're going to go ahead and get, get about 29, develop him in the G league and have him ready to be playing rotation minutes fairly soon. I can totally see that happening. And that, that's kind of where I'm comfortable taking him too. But uh, Steven, is there anything else you have to say before we, uh, uh, in this segment? No, just kind of just to piggyback off of that, I was like, I think at 22, you need to grab a guy that can, you know, fill a role and or at the pinch, you know, play like immediately this year. But, you know, at 29, I, I agree with you. I, I don't see much separation 
between I'm looking at one mock draft that has the Grizzlies drafting Walker Kessler from Auburn. You know, I, I don't see that much of a difference between him and, and say, a Josh Minot. So I, th- I think 29 would be a good place if, if Memphis really likes him. Absolutely. But, you know, it, it sounds like wherever Josh Minot goes, he, he, has, he, has, he has everything needed to succeed. It all is just going to come down to um, which organization drafts him. And hopefully it's one with a, a good system in place, good players around him, good locker room. And we can see another Tiger thrive because, you know, one thing that's really cool about the city is, you know, people support their Tigers. I mean, Will Barton is a – he's been in the league 10-plus years, and he still gets a warm that warm hometown welcome whenever he comes to Memphis. Even even years removed, even though he was like a two- or three-year player, it's all love. So here, here's hoping that Josh Minot has a long, successful career and a good infrastructure, maybe even the Memphis Grizzlies. Mm-hmm. I think that would be great for both parties. Absolutely. Steven, uh, thank you very much for joining this week's edition of GBB Live. Let the people know where they can find you and your work. You guys can follow me on, on Twitter at Stephen M. Johnson underscore. And of course, you know, I uh, report on Tigers for the Daily Awesome. Make sure y'all follow him on Twitter at Stephen, S T E B N. M Johnson underscore and make sure you're subscribed to the daily Memphian for all the uh, best coverage on everything around the city of Memphis. And on the other side of this show, we're going to be talking with GBB's Sean Coleman about another Memphis product. That's right. Briarcrest Saint, Tennessee volunteer, Kennedy Chandler. So don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. All right, now we are back with the segment's second segment. Shout out to Stephen Johnson of the Daily Miffian to join us talking about Memphis's Josh Minot. And now let's talk about a rival prospect for the Memphis Tigers that could potentially be a Memphis Grizzly. And that is Tennessee Vols, as well as Briarcrest Saint Kennedy Chandler. And I couldn't talk about Kennedy Chandler without one of my good friends, the Stat Sensei, GBB senior staff writer. Uh, co-host of the Lot on Grizzlies podcast, Sean Coleman. Sean, how are you doing tonight, sir? I'm making it, man. I tried to, this, uh, this weather, these weather changes are having their effect on me, but always a pleasure to be here, especially to talk about uh, balls, but more than anything, getting the chance to talk with you, Parker. Thanks for having me, bud. Absolutely. No problem. You know, I, I said it on Twitter and, you know, we've been doing these prospect profiles for a while and, you know, it's really cool when you have players that have some sort of connection with your, um, with your staff members, whether that's uh, prospects that go to the school that you root for or a hometown prospect, whatsoever, whatever. And I know Sean did an exceptional job last year uh, going with um, Jaden Springer. It was either him or Keon Johnson. I can't remember, but uh, he, he knocked it out of the park with Kennedy Chandler. And a def- definitely a very interesting prospect to talk about, especially given the Grizzlies uh, offseason, especially hinging around uh, Tyus Jones's decision. So, Sean, we'll kind of get into a vague question this first. So, like, with Tyus Jones's decision to enter free agency, the Grizz- the state of the Grizzlies where they should be operating as a contender, uh, what, where does that put the Grizzlies' uh, probability to go with a point guard to replace Tyus Jones uh, through the draft? And also, how much sense does it make for the Grizzlies to go with replacing Tyus Jones with a rookie point guard? 
Well, and I think that, you know, it, it really just depends on it. To me, it, it may be amazing to think about, but it, it comes down to a few million. But those few million matter, right? Mm-hmm. I think that if the Grizzlies were to go three or 30, even four or 40 for Tyus Jones, I think you pay that all day long. Listen, you know what you've got with him. You know that he could step up and, you know, step up in the place of John Morant, you know, for a player in John Morant who – it may not necessarily be all that negative for, you know, if Morant were to not be at his normal self, for him to sit out a few games each season, Tyus Jones could step up and stand out. His shooting was there to show that he could be, <clears throat> excuse me, he could be of more value than just a historic playmaker. And I just, I really do think that if the Grizzlies can get him at 10 million or less, he makes perfect sense because at the end of the day, for 40 to 45 minutes a night, You've got, in my opinion, one of the top five one-two point guard uh, punches or combos in the league leading your team. And we've seen the growth that those two have allowed the Grizzlies to have over the past three years. But at the end of the day, for the same reasons that the Grizzlies would be, you know, wise to keep him at that amount, you know, there's a team out there, especially a contender that feels that, you know, hey, Tyus Jones in that 13 to $15 million range over a two to three year period could make sense then the Grizzlies might think, okay, it may not necessarily make that much sense. And so at that point, for a team that's going to have to be more cognizant of the costs that come to, you know, it's bench players and, you know, it's non-core players, you know, at that point, you're looking for talents that are going to be able to give you value at low costs. And I just think that with Kennedy Chandler's overall ability to make an impact on both ends of the court, I think that he's someone that could step right in and be, uh, you know, a trusted part of the bench core. And of course, his connection with your franchise player and John Morant and being a hometown kid. My whole point is, is that if the Grizzlies feel that Tyus Jones may be a bit too expensive, they may not find a better option than one that will be right there staring them in the face in this draft and Kennedy Chandler. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, you bring up the financial part, too. And I I really think that where the Grizzlies are picking is incredibly valuable, especially at 29. Uh, I'm looking at Real GM right now. I mean, the 22nd pick over the first three years of their contract, the 22nd pick will make $2.2 million in year one, $2.3 in year two, $2.4 in year three. And then, also, and then there'll be a team option for year four that doesn't really specify – uh, the the exact amount, but the 29th pick, the 1.8 million, 1.9 million, and 1.998 million uh, in years one through three, and that's incredible value, it's, especially when you're talking about a team that's about to get expensive. You have John Morant's uh, extension that's going to be an, an inevitably a supermax. Uh, Jaron Jackson Jr., who's tw- uh, four year, 105 million dollar extension, kicks in next season. You have Brandon Clark's extension, potential extension looming, Dustin Baines, probable extension looming, maybe Dylan Brooks, who knows. But things are about to get expensive. And when you can work around the margins like that, especially at this pick, especially when your franchise point guard is about to cost nearly probably about $35 million a year, something like this does seem logical for sure, I must say. Absolutely. And the other part of it is this, is that, at the end of the day, I think that the Grizzlies, they, they have to trust, and you know they do because they're, they've been so good at it, but 
The Grizzlies are the one team in the NBA right now that has every reason to trust their decision-making. And I get that Kennedy Chandler may not be as sexy of a pick as, as another, you know, high upside wing or, you know, an, a, a prospect that has a great shooting pedigree or things like that. You never want to draft for need as your top reason for taking a guy in the draft. But it's a nice bonus to have especially when you know how well Taylor Jenkins and his staff have shown to be when it comes to developing the two-way potential of perimeter players, plus, again, that natural ability for Kennedy Chandler to impact both ends of the court. But the other thing that stands out to me is that if you have the ability to pay under $3 million a year to a player that probably by year two you could see coming in and at least doing a serviceable job in the starting lineup while John Moran is out injured, if that were to occur, or if he's, you know, doing, um, what do you call it, uh, load management? Yeah. I think it's a no-brainer. I, I think that that plays a bigger part into this than some might say. At the end of the day, you trust John Morant on his overall, you know, amount that he plays. But I don't think that it is – too bad of an idea if John Morant plays 65 to 70 games during the regular season so he stays fresh for the playoffs and if that's the case having a trusted player you can come in and step up in his place in Kennedy Chandler if Tyus Jones is too expensive that's an extra caveat that I make think think makes Chandler valuable as well yeah and you know you bring up the entry in the loan management part and that's kind of the interesting thing to me especially in the way that the Memphis Grizzlies are operating at this moment. It's a contender. And the fact that the Western Conference is about, about to get stiffer. I mean, uh, Golden State's not going anywhere. Neither is Phoenix. Um, Denver and Los Angeles Clippers should get healthier. New Orleans is rising. Minnesota is rising. Uh, the only team that should really be experiencing a, um, a little bit of a decline here uh, next season should be the Utah Jazz. So, you know, within just that – small margin of error that the Grizzlies are about to be going through for playoff seating and such. If they were to draft someone like Kenny Chandler, do you want him to have that responsibility to stay afloat? If John Morant were to load manage and, you know, only play 65, 70 games, or is your vision with Kennedy Chandler to maybe draft him at 29, let's say. And then if the Grizzlies do lose that on ties, so you go and get, a veteran backup point guard, whether that's by trade or it's uh, by signing somebody to a vet minimum, like a, like a Ricky Rubio or something, and letting Chandler get his reps in the G League with the hustle before having him take over that backup point guard role in year two. I mean, that would be my desired outcome at least, but I'd like to see where you're, you're coming from with this because it, it does seem like kind of a tall task to have a rookie – point guard who's not like a he wasn't like a lotto guy or anything he's probably going to be in that late 20s early 30s range asking him hey hold down the fort while we're in the middle of this playoff race while our sharp point guards out so I, I want to see where you, where you're at with this I think it's a fair point but a couple of things that come to mind is this is first off for Chandler himself he was just and I'm going to brag here a little bit you know make whatever jokes about March you want to they're all valid but <laughs> he just stepped into a role as a true freshman playing 30 plus minutes a game starting 34 games as a starting point guard for currently a top 15 program in the NCAA and he showed to be at his best on the biggest stage the other thing that I stand to, think stands out about the Grizzlies is that you've got the improved playmaking of 
a um, Desmond Bain. You hope that happens with the DeAnthony Melton. Perhaps you bring back Kyle Anderson if you don't bring back Tyus Jones. That's playmaking there as well. And so I think that the baptism by fire approach for the Grizzlies has worked perfectly fine. I know that they could have, you know, with several of their rookies in the past, kind of, you know, brought them along slowly and then, you know, played them in the G League and all that different stuff. But look at Brandon Clark, his rookie year, look at uh, uh, Xavier Tillman and Desmond Bain, their rookie years, look at Zaire last year. Yeah, none of these guys were, you know, in main roles like a Jaw or a Jaron because, you know, none of these guys were lottery picks. But my point is, is that they were a part of the rotation. And I think that it makes a lot of sense. I think that the Grizzlies do an outstanding job of putting emphasis and trusting their rookies to have a role from day one and to produce in that because the Grizzlies franchise knows that they're going to be able to combine the tutelage with the experience to make them grow. So I agree with you. I wouldn't necessarily say that, you know, John Morant's your one, Kennedy Chandler's your two, and you go into next season with that. If you want to bring in another, you know, veteran type playmaker, ball handler, what have you, that's fine. But I do think that Kennedy Chandler possibly getting 10 to 12 minutes a night. I think you could do far worse with those minutes. And I think that it's that type of trust in him from day one that will be a great start to getting the most out of him long-term. Absolutely. And, you know, I know this kind of, this will pain you for me to say, but I mean, it's also invaluable for, to, you know, develop a guy like that because I mean, guys like Ed Kennedy Chandler's skill set are a premium back, good backup point guards are a premium, especially when you have a, a star point guard right now. So maybe build him up and he's using a trade package for extra value when you're building a big consolidation package, you know, Sean, great this point. Is, this no, is great. hundred percent. Great point. I was about to say, I mean, this was going to be your payback for all these years of throwing people in trade packages. If I just threw in the, the Tennessee ball in there for you, that's going to be my payback, but no. So I do, I do want to ask you this, you know, because you've watched a lot more Tennessee basketball than I have. And through your profile, you definitely have uh, just shown the value of Kenny Chandler and why he's, a first round talent, one that the Grizzlies should be considering, whether that's at the 22nd pick or the 29th pick. But a lot of people uh, might dock Kennedy Chandler for his size. I mean, he's maybe six foot, maybe, maybe, and that might be generous. Uh, six, five wingspan. He's about 170 pounds. You know, pe- people are going to be worried about his size. And, you know, if he experiences some similar uh, draft night slips, similar, uh, similar to another. Uh, similar prospect to Sharif Cooper and may not catch me off guard. So, Sean, what is it to you that just stands out about Kennedy Chandler and his ability to and his ability and potential to succeed at the NBA level despite his uh, size limitations? He, to me, is someone that can create his own fast break opportunities. And I think that that separates him from a Sharif Cooper or other prospects like that, because perhaps the most intriguing aspect of Kennedy Chandler's game, Parker, coming into the NBA is his defensive upside as a turnover-causing player, as a, as, a, as a chaos-causing defensive player that you typically don't see in point guards his age. And the thing about it is, is that when you look to him, again, I know you don't draft players because of what you think they'll do as backups. But I think that he's the type of player that can make an immediate impact in the backup role. Because when you've got the game, when you've got the starters or most of the starters off the court, 
the game's less talented. The game's less structured. You're going to have more free-flowing opportunities. Put Kennedy Chandler with what the Grizzlies already have in terms of their defensive versatility on their bench. Put him at the top of the key and allow for him to potentially create steals or a good point to attack defense. And from those steals, get out on the fast break. The Grizzlies, I, I'm not saying he's going to be Tyus Jones from day one if this winds up coming to fruition, but you're going to have a lot of fast break opportunities created by Kennedy Chandler himself. And then you've got his quickness with the ball plus his finishing ability, which is elite for his size. All of that put together as a one-man fast break, that's a pretty valuable thing to have, especially for the team in the Memphis Grizzlies who are who have been among the best, if not the best, at that aspect of the game since Taylor Jenkins took over you know, the reins of the franchise. So that's one thing that really stands out about Kennedy Chandler's ability to minimize the limitations that his size will have on his career. How can he be able to create turnovers, but when he can get into the open court with his playmaking ability and finishing ability and be able to convert turning defense into offense as a one-man show? That is definitely something that stands out as a positive and why teams should be attracted to him even if he may be a bit smaller for a ideal point guard size. Yeah, absolutely. You know, you bring up a good point, Sean, about, about, you know, drafting and, you know, you don't want to draft for a backup point guard, but I mean, for the Grizzlies at this stage, they're in a, there's this unique position now where everything now is just plug and play. Uh, as players start to get more expensive, you might start to money ball those, uh, those spots, whether that's the backup point guard spot with Tyus Jones whether that's a uh, backup forward spot replacing Kyle Anderson with a uh, rookie scale contract, uh, you know, D'Anthony Melton, he has two years, about two years, $17 million left on his deal. Do you want to bring in another combo guard to develop whenever he gets priced out? That's what every, everything's all about right now. And I guess the question now becomes instead of who can be a cornerstone or key complimentary guy, maybe even a starter uh, for our team, you're now trying to find these value guys that, you're going to trust in playoff situations, you know? And I mean, obviously they've shown that last year. I mean, they trusted Zaire Williams and very tight ball games against the Golden State Warriors, uh, guarding guys like Stephen Curry, Jordan Poole, Clay Thompson. He, like you want to, that's what you're looking for. Um, and I guess for now, it, you know, I know you don't really try to draft a backup point guard when you have a young point guard right now uh, who's going to be here for a long time. But at the same time, you got to be able to develop and equip players uh, when players get priced out to potentially, you know, step in, produce some playoff moments, you know, give give guys like John Morant that rest. And that's what you're hoping with a guy like Kennedy Chandler. And that, that's kind of the way I see it. Absolutely. And at the end of the day, you know, I, I know that you again, you don't draft for need, you don't draft for backup. But to your point that you made just a few minutes ago, is that the Grizzlies also, again, with their confidence that it has and their ability to develop these players, the Grizzlies are one of the best bets to, in time, increase the overall value of the asset that they get with their draft pick instead of what the draft pick is now. Again, you go back a year and a half to December or to November 19th, 2020. That number 30 pick in the 2020 draft only had so much value. But now look at the value that the player that the Grizzlies got from that pick. Look at his value now. He's probably one of the best values in the league when it comes to a perimeter player in Desmond Bain due to his shooting. I'm not saying Kennedy Chandler gets that type of value two years into his career. But the point that I'm getting at is, is again, 
the Grizzlies right now, I they're either at the top or near the top of every list that people can make of teams that recently have been able to get the most value out of picks in the latter half of the first round. Brandon Clark, Desmond Bain, we'll see what they can do with the 22 and 29 pick. But again, like I say, you don't want to ever draft for a guy that you think may be a career backup. But with the Grizzlies, it's not just about Kennedy Chandler coming in and being a backup that you can trust on the cheap contract. It's also the upside being there to where, you know, perhaps in time, he could be someone that could be part of a trade package to go in and bring another complimentary piece for the Grizzlies when they're getting closer to really competing for a championship. Absolutely. Absolutely, for sure. You know, th- Sean, there's another question within this uh, this discussion of Kennedy Chandler and I guess the Grizzlies backup point guard situation is you want to find players, especially backup point guards, um, that have the scalability to not only run the run the floor with John Morant off the floor, you need guys that complement John Morant. And, you know, that's something that we've I've, – I've talked about at nauseum um, over the past year and a half or so, and I think uh, John Morant and Tyus Jones have done a really good job – or did a really good job last year at least of complementing one another. I think their uh, net rating together – was around I want to say between 14 and 15. I am literally pulling up cleaning the glass at the moment. Yeah, it's 14.9. They had a net rating of 14.9 in 383 non-garbage time possessions. Some really good stuff. And that that's kind of the template going forward. Is you need guys off the bench who could run the floor without John Morant and run the offense, keep keep stuff afloat. But you also need guys that can play next to him because I mean if you're trying to play like you don't want to be playing a backup point guard. You know, if you're playing John Morant 40 minutes in a playoff series, it does nothing for rhythm. If you're playing a backup point guard eight minutes, you want to give that person probably like 12 to 13, maybe even 18 minutes to kind of get a rhythm, get it to a flow of the game, play alongside John Morant, all that. Like with Kenny Chandler with his size limitations, you know, what we know about John Morant and his size and his defense are these two players that can share the floor together for certain stretches, whether that's whether that's a Tuesday night in January or um, a game two in the Western Conference semifinals? Do you see them um, as a duo that can complement each other on the floor and kind of navigate and produce despite their limitations um, physically? Not for long stretches. And I know that that's something that Taylor Jenkins likes to go with. I think one thing that stands out about the reason why he enjoyed going with Tyus Jones with John Rant, they complimented each other well, is because you had Tyus Jones as a good shooting option, but you also had incredible ball handling and decision-making when it came to, you know, protecting the basketball, limiting turnovers. Um, I think from that aspect of things, Kenny Chandler would do all right. And Kenny Chandler does have some growth opportunity, especially when it comes to catch and shoot three-point opportunities. His overall ability to self-create from the three is one of those swing skills that I ultimately think will determine whether he's a long-term backup or long-term starter in the NBA. But I'll say I'm not too... Uh, keen on the idea of looking at this as, you know, in time it may develop, 
but it's really going to depend on Kennedy Chandler's ability to shoot the catch and shoot three. But I do think, especially if Kennedy Chandler is not producing those, those turnovers like you would like, I really do think it would be hard to trust you know, John Morant and Kennedy Chandler for six, seven minutes out on the court together, because I do think defenses could do, you know, a pretty decent job of targeting those two, especially when it came to, you know, finding opportunities to get bigger bodies on them for good looks from inside the arc. That's where you start to get a bit concerned. So could it work out? Sure. Do I think that it's something that you, you know, regularly see, especially in high leverage or playoff situations? Probably not, at least not initially, if Kennedy Chandler were to be the backup. So the whole idea of playing John Kennedy together, I don't necessarily have as much faith in that being a, a long-term source of success as I do with Kennedy Chandler being able to definitely handle the rock when Jaws off the court. Right. And just one like a follow-up on this um, before we get to our question of the day. Does that affect um, your preference and drafting Kennedy Chandler does the idea that like okay you can't play him and John Morant for certain stretches on the floor together does that kind of sway your opinion a little bit on drafting him with the 22nd or the 29th pick potentially and 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 you know at the end of the day I, I don't also I, I'll say to the same effect re-signing Tyus Jones playing him with John Morant that isn't a big factor for me either because I just don't think that that is so listen it worked in game I believe five game five yeah game five of the uh, uh Western Conference five or the uh, Western Conference first round it didn't work so it, it has it has its benefits but I don't think that that is that big of a factor into it so it not not wouldn't necessarily sway me so much as you know the fact is that at the end of the day Kennedy Chandler is someone who could be a very valuable pick for the Grizzlies but it's got to be in the right scenario with other prospects that's not necessarily the case the case with that is the fact that you could play them regardless. You know, you're not, you know, there are, I believe there are probably five or seven other prospects at 22 and 29 that you likely would pick over Kennedy Chandler because picking them is not dependent on what you do with free agents. I think Chandler's, uh, the sense in drafting him for the Grizzlies is because I don't think it makes sense to, you know, use a pick on Chandler if you're going to re-sign Tyus. So, you know, overall, it doesn't have that big of an impact on me, the ability to play with Jaw, but I just do think at the end of the day, Chandler's sense in being a pick for the Grizzlies is more dependent on what the ultimate decision in Matthias for other prospects. You don't necessarily have to say what the Grizzlies may do in free agency would impact whether or not they pick these players. Absolutely. And that, that's kind of the thing that kind of uh, holds me back on Kennedy Chandler's, you know, I'm, I'm a fan of, I'm a fan of his, you know, I think he's a first round grade for sure. But at the same time, I'm like, okay, can it like, can this guy play next to job for certain stretches? I don't know. And I don't think he, I don't think even his strengths as a defender, um, floor general score, I don't, I don't think those outweigh those concerns, especially when evaluating him against uh, a whole lot of other prospects. So I, I'm, I'm not there yet. You're going to say something? Yeah. I was going to say there, I will agree with you 150%. There are other contenders and other teams that are looking to ascend to being contenders where Kennedy Chandler makes more sense long-term for them right now than he does the Grizzlies because the fact is that those teams' best players is not at the point guard position. And number two, those teams are looking for youth at the point guard position. The Grizzlies don't have that need. So I will say that there's a much cleaner fit with other teams than the Grizzlies when it comes to Kennedy Chandler. 
Right. Absolutely. And all right, this now brings us to our GBB Live question of the day, special two-parter that we did. Obviously, in the first segment, we talked about Josh Minot and where you would be most comfortable taking him. Now let's talk where would we be most comfortable with the Grizzlies taking Briarcrest St. Tennessee Vault, Kennedy Chandler. So thank you to the 84 people or accounts that voted on this poll. Uh, 25% of y'all said uh, the 22nd pick. 54.8% said the 29th pick and 20.2% of you said the 47th pick. So Sean, what was your answer here? Yeah, I, I will go with the 29th pick as well. I, I, I don't necessarily mind taking Kennedy Chandler at the 22nd. Listen, I'll be ecstatic um, if that's the case, but I think 29th makes the most sense. I, I just, you know, especially, you know, with my, you know, growing hope that the Grizzlies may, you know, if the price is is reasonable, they may look to move up from 22. Um, I just think that there probably are talents that are better fits, cleaner fits for the Grizzlies in areas of a bigger need than where you pick Kennedy Chandler. Kennedy Chandler is a luxury pick, again, for the Grizzlies. You know, this is this is the type of pick where if he's there at 29, you take him because he checks a lot of boxes that you typically don't see with the player at the 29th position. Um, so I think that taking him 29th overall makes sense for the Grizzlies. And, you know, at the end of the day, do I think he's there at 29? I think it's 50-50. But if they take him at 29, I don't know if anybody will be happier than me come draft night. Yeah, I think on a scale of one to going crazy like a madman in the middle of the bluff because the Grizzlies traded up for Brandon Clark, I think he would be near, closer to that Brandon Clark level than that one level for sure. Yeah. Um, I, I had 29th as well just because, you know, I, I think there's two replace two theoretical like development replacements that come to mind in this draft, and that's – um, finding a pure center prospect, you know, if Jaron's long-term uh, path is being a starting four rather than a starting five, uh, I think uh, Steven Adams is closer to the end of his starting days rather than the beginning of them. So finding another center that's cheap that could develop into that role. And then also to the backup point guard spot. I, I say that the 29th pick because of the salary numbers associated with it, it's just tremendous value at that point. And with the 22nd pick, you're not, you're not giving up. You're not really bypassing or yeah, you're not bypassing uh, best player available. And I, I think with that 29th pick, it just, it, I would be happy with it for salary purposes, just because, I mean, getting a backup point yard locked up for four years under $10 million, especially for a, point guard and player and talent as important as John Morant and also one with the health history of John Morant. It's an incredibly good value for sure. Listen, I'll come out and here and tell you right now that the, the, the dream scenario for me for the, when it comes to the Grizzlies is to find a trade up situation where they trade up to the late lottery and they draft a falling AJ Griffin or Benedict Matherin. That would be a, a dream scenario for me. But Parker also threw this out there. I don't think that's not going to happen, and I don't think this is going to happen. But let's get the best of both worlds. How about a, for some reason, falling Jalen Duran that the Grizzlies go up and get, and then they sit back at 29 and get Kennedy Chandler. Now you've got 
two Memphis, two guys with connections to Memphis who are highly intriguing prospects at two areas of need that you had, which would be backup point guard and the long-term center that's controllable as well to pair with Jaron and Brandon Clark. That would be outstanding. Again, less than a 5% chance that happens, but you could make it make sense. So I do think that this is probably one of the better chances we've seen in a while of the Grizzlies actually making a draft pick for someone that's actually tied to Memphis in some way, shape, or form. And if I'm the Grizzlies, I'd do it all day long. Yeah, that'd be wild. Uh, I think that would really hit the best of both worlds for uh, different sectors of Grizzlies fans, especially given that our fan base is pretty divided with Memphis Tiger fans and Tennessee Vol fans. It'd be a very good best of both worlds kind of scenario. I mean, you know, you could have made that 5% a reality, Sean, because I did reach out to you in the GBB community mod draft about a trade with the Memphis Grizzlies and the Charlotte Hornets, and you said no, not interested, even if I was going to give you um, some salary cap relief with Gordon Hayward, but you were not interested. That's fine. That's fine. But you attributed to that 5%. I hope you know that. Hey, that's perfectly fine. I am more than happy with the uh, combo that oh, I got. You, you got doing- one, one hell of a haul. So, yeah, I mean, we're not going to go deep into the hauls. I want you to tune in for the for the end of this show. But uh, go to go to the Grizzly Bear Blues Twitter account. Look at the thread of the picks made in the GBB community mod drive. It's been a lot of fun. Uh, definitely one of the best exercises that we do on – Grizzly Bear Blues. Uh, it's been really fun. You know, I'll have an, an article up, talk about why I did what I did for the Memphis Grizzlies in my first year as the mock draft GM for the Grizzlies. So, yeah, it's been really fun. I, was, I think Sean got one heck of a haul with Benedict Matherin and Mark Williams. But, uh, Sean, before we go, do, we have, do you have any final remarks, uh, whether it's Kenny Chandler, the Memphis Grizzlies draft, whatever? Is there any final comments you have to make? Yeah, I just I really, really think that this is going to be one of the more interesting drafts. Parker, as me and you talk about all the time, um, <laughs> I won't say literally, but we this is this is why I enjoy talking to you so much, because on a lot of things where we're on the same wavelength, it's going to be a lot of fun because there's just there's so many different ways that the Grizzlies can go this year. We know that we have a GM and Zach Kleiman that we know loves to move around the draft board. We know that the draft is going to be the first indication we get of, you know, potential moves for NBA players, whether it be who we go after in free agency, retaining free agency, potential trades. Could we make a draft night trade or could we make a before the draft trade, you know, out of nowhere, like we did with, you know, a JV last year. So, so many different ways the Grizzlies can go. It's going to be a lot of fun. And I will say this as well. There is few, if anyone, who gives you better coverage of the draft when it comes to the Grizzlies than Parker Fleming. I enjoy doing it as well, but Parker is is the best when it comes to covering the draft and and the Grizzlies, obviously. So make sure you turn into GBB Live because he's going to have great coverage before and after the draft. I'm just glad to be a part of it. Thanks, Parker. Thank you, Sean. You know, I I appreciate you kind of pitting that on me, but I mean, it's a real team effort over at uh, Grizzly Bear Blues. We've had some awesome draft profiles from you. Brandon Abraham, Bryson Wright, Nathan Chester, uh, Ed Memphis. Uh, I, I'm scrolling I'm through GBB right now, making sure I do not for, want to. I don't want to forget anyone because that'd be incredibly rude. I did not. There's a couple you could have forgot. There's a couple <laughs> you could have forgot. Hey, yeah, yeah, but no, we we do a whole lot of great draft coverage. Um, you know, from the fun exercises of the mock draft from our prospect profiles, you know, we'll be having some more draft centric features coming out in the coming weeks leading up to the draft as we are 
as we're recording this 16 days away from the NBA draft. Uh, don't miss out, but uh, Sean, let the people know where they can find you and your work. And again, I appreciate you as always joining this show. Sure. And I agree with you 110%. You know, I'm going to sit here and compliment you anytime that I get because of how awesome you are. But Thank again, you. you're, you're right. The uh, the team over at Grizzly Bear Blues, I'm just happy and lucky to be a part of it. So so thank you for the for the kind words. And yes, the effort from everybody is great. Uh, you can find me at Stats SEC uh, right over at Grizzly Bear Blues. Um, uh, when, when I get the chance, it's it's always fun this time of year to do some some draft uh, to do, uh, draft write-ups. And then uh, you also can find me and DeMichael Cole on the Locked on Grizzlies podcast every day, even with the Grizzlies not playing right now. We're going to have a lot of draft content coming up just like on GBB Live. We'll be doing the same over at Locked on Grizzlies, so check us out. Absolutely. Sean, I appreciate it big time. Yeah, y'all y'all go check out the Locked on Grizzlies podcast. Sean and DeMichael, two, two of the coolest dudes in, in Grizzlies Twitter, always putting out great content, whether that's Locked on Grizzlies, uh, G- Grizzly Bear Blues, or the Commercial Appeal, so check that out. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Paca underscore Flocka. As always, follow the blog on Twitter at SBN Grizzlies. Check out all our work at grizzlybearblues.com. And make sure you are subscribing to the Grizzly Bear Blues Podcast Network, wherever you get your podcasts. Um, you know, on your Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Megaphone, iHeartRadio, or wherever you get your podcasts. One-stop shop for all your Grizzly Bear Blues podcasts. And before I go, because I know it's been a long episode, uh, the Grizzly Bear, uh, the live GBB Live will be hosted at the Bluff on Monday, June 27th, starting at 6 p.m. This event will be benefiting the Allie's Allies St. Jude fundraiser team. Allie Allen is my beautiful fiance. Uh, there will be live music from Travel with the Band. There'll be a raffle of prizes to uh, raise money for St. Jude uh, from different uh, shops and such around the city. Uh, there'll be a Grizz Talk featuring uh, Sean Coleman. Michael Cole, Brandon Abraham, Connor Dunning, Anthony Sane, and more. And I will be setting up a PayPal also because if you can't make it to the event and still want to donate, I want to open up an avenue for y'all to do so. So be on the lookout for that. Be on the lookout for the different prizes that will be entered into this raffle, um, raising money for St. Jude. So, you know, it's been a fun season, and I just wanted to do something to – uh, bring our community together and really raise money for a great cause. So uh, mean a lot if y'all came, came out to that event um, again, Monday, June 27th at the bluff starting at 6 PM. So yeah, don't miss out, but yeah, it's, it's a uh, GBB next gen. You hear me? We'll be back next week. <laughs>